I'm reading from Joel chapter 2. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Do not fear, O soil, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Well, one of the mantras of um, Citizens UK that Bloomsbury are part of is uh, that um, the world as it is, is not the same as the world as it should be. I'll say that again. The world as it is, is not the same as the world as it should be. And it seems to me that this observation takes us right to the heart of the season of Advent. We recognise that in some deep and profound way, the world is out of joint that it isn't what it could and should be, that something is persistently and obstinately wrong. In many ways, Advent 2020 exemplifies this for us more than many years have done recently. I don't know what you were hoping for in 2020, but I bet it wasn't this. Cast your mind back if you can to nearly a year ago, maybe New Year's Eve, the dawn of a new decade, a time for fresh hope, and here we are, and who'd have thought it? Things don't always turn out as we hope, and the world as it is, is not the same as the world as it should be. Well, we're not the first generation in history to have had our hopes dashed, and we won't be the last either. The prophet Joel, from whose book our reading this morning comes, lived in just such a time. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been journeying with the Old Testament prophets through the time leading up to and into the Israelite exile in Babylon. Well, Joel picks up the story after the end of exile. Following a generation of captivity, the winds of political change had stirred in Babylon and the new ruler in town, Cyrus, decided that exiled people could return to their homelands. So the exiled Jews set off back to the land of Israel with a mission to rebuild their capital city and to restore and reconsecrate their temple. But things were never so straightforward. For starters, not everyone had gone into exile. The Babylonians had taken the educated and the elite, but the working classes had mostly remained behind in the land of Israel. Whilst in exile, the exiles had forged a new kind of Judaism. They had written down their scriptures and created ways of being that allowed them to keep their faith, even when separated from their land and their temple. To put it another way, the Jewish faith had evolved in Babylon. But those who had stayed in the land knew nothing of this. And so when the returners came back to Israel, 
there were tensions from the beginning between those Jews who had been exiled and those who had not. It's a bit like going to an Irish bar in New York, if you've ever done that. It will be more stereotypically Irish than any bar you will ever find in Ireland itself. And you can just imagine the difficulties that would emerge if someone decided to try and force everyone back to the mother country in a way that meant that those back in the mother country now had to start adopting the characteristics developed by those who had left a couple of generations earlier. In addition to the cultural and religious tensions, things were not helped for the returners from exile by the fact that they'd come back to a time of famine and drought. There's been a plague of locusts, which is mentioned in chapter one, verse four, and it's wiped out the crops and people are starving. The great return to Israel from Babylon is not turning out as it was supposed to. And it's into this context that the book of Joel comes to be written as a response to a natural disaster and a general air of tension and disappointment. The world as it was in post-exilic Israel was not the world as it was supposed to be. And Joel wrestles with that reality before God. The first thing to notice about Joel's response to this situation is that he is rather more pro-worship than some of the other prophets of his era. So whereas Amos and Isaiah are scathing about the kind of worship that makes people feel good, but which doesn't result in social justice, Joel has a different approach. He calls people to turn towards God with weeping and mourning, to rend their hearts and not their clothing, he says. Joel's response to calamity is to bring that hurt and pain before God with brutal honesty, not through some public show of piety, but, but with a genuine expression of grief. And he assures those who would do this, that God is gracious and merciful, that God will not be angry with them, but rather will respond with steadfast love. But for Joel, this turning to God is not simply about people being honest with God about the difficulties of their lives, although it certainly starts there. Joel has a rather more holistic perspective on what returning to God might mean. For Joel, it encompasses not just hope for the individual or the community that they're part of, but also a restoration of hope for the environment in which they live writing off the back of a natural disaster where nature has gone awry and people have paid the price for their suffering. Joel speaks words of comfort, not just to people, but to the planet itself. He tells the soil not to fear. He speaks to the animals, the pastures, the trees and the vines, and he offers a vision of fresh hope and restoration for the natural world. There's something deeply profound here about the interconnectedness of people and planet, of humans and nature, that both need the mercy and love of God 
and that the future of one is tied inextricably to the other. Without the land, the people die. But without the people, the land is untended and unfruitful. And then we get this extraordinary vision of hope, which we more normally encounter at Pentecost because it's uh, quoted by Peter in his sermon following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples in Jerusalem. But heard here in its original context, the promise of God's restorative spirit carries a promise of great hope. The traditional and deeply rooted barriers that exist in society of age, gender and social status are broken down by the coming of God's spirit. And Joel offers a vision of an egalitarian community where not only are people at one with nature, but where people are united with each other. And so we come to today, to 2020, and the divisions in our world are plain to see. From the injustices of race and ethnicity, highlighted so powerfully this year through the Black Lives Matter protests, to the disproportionate health impacts of the pandemic on the elderly and the vulnerable, to the ongoing denigration of people because of their gender or sexuality, to the way climate change is affecting most those who are most impoverished, to the global economic injustices caused by financial systems that protect the wealthy and keep the poor poor. And I wonder, what can we hear from the book of Joel as we come to the end of a year when it has been as clear as ever that the world as it is, is not the world as it should be? Advent is a time for being honest about the distance that exists between us and God, between the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdom of heaven. It's that place in the Christian year when it is okay to not be okay to admit that we have turned from God, or to lament that God seems to have turned from us. As we await the birth of Christ, the coming of God to humanity, we wait in solidarity with exiles, in unity with those who suffer and struggle, and in concord with creation as it groans with suffering. So here in Advent 2020, I wonder if we can hear Joel speaking to us. Can we hear the call to turn back to God, to rend our hearts and not our garments? Can we discover an honesty in our worship that takes us to the place of raw reality before God? Over the next couple of weeks, we have two events coming up at Bloomsbury that may be particularly helpful to those of us who wants to bring our whole selves before God with all of our grief and pain and anxiety. Firstly, on Sunday evening next week, we will be having a meeting called A Safe Place to Talk, which is particularly set aside for those of us who suffer with times of poor mental health. For us, if we want to, to be honest with one another and to share our struggles and find strength in community together. And then on the Monday evening of the 21st, the longest night of the year, we will have what is often called a longest night service, or sometimes a blue Christmas service, where we will recognise before God that sometimes life is difficult, 
sad and unresolved. So do come along to these if they would be helpful to you. And there'll be more information in the news email about which Zoom link to click and again in next Sunday's service. But more than this, can we also hear Joel's call to creation, to a world facing natural disaster, that God is still capable of bringing new life where life as it was has died. We are still in the grip of the worst pandemic in living memory. And although there is good news on the horizon with the vaccine, many will still die before we get through this. And whilst the government's ambitious promise this week that the UK will cut emissions by 68% by 2030 is unquestionably good news. There is much still to be done in London, our country and the world before we find our way through the looming climate emergency. It's so good to have people from Bloomsbury participating in the London Citizens Just Transition campaign, where we are calling on the new mayor who will be elected next year to create 60,000 good green jobs and to upgrade 100,000 homes by retrofitting green energy heating and insulation. Tackling the climate crisis is an opportunity to make people's lives better here in London as well as around the world. Caring for creation and caring for the poor and the vulnerable can go hand in hand and I think Joel would agree with his vision of the interconnectedness of people and planet. And can we hear Joel's call to live into being the world of equality that dawns in our midst as the Spirit of God breaks down the barriers that divide humanity, communities and families? I remain endlessly proud to be part of a community of faith that fearlessly articulates our values of inclusion for all, regardless of age, ethnicity, gender or sexuality. The Spirit of God is truly poured out on all without distinction. And for all of its shortcomings, this year of mostly online worship has enabled people to join us who would otherwise not have been able to worship with us due to age, infirmity or distance. The gathering of our community before God to hear the words of good news has continued and has even strengthened in some ways. People have forged new bonds and we have refocused as a church on the gift of our gathered community, creatively working out what it is to summon God's people to worship, to turn once more, as Joel would put it, to the God who gives new life to all. As Joel says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen. Thank you, Simon. Um, we're now going to have a moment of reflection um, on what Simon's brought to us and ask the panellists to get ready to, in a moment, to put their mics and cameras back on um, for the discussion. Okay, can I invite all the panellists to put their um, mics and cameras on? Um, join us. That's great. Um, so just to get us started, um, a major point that I think um, Simon was making um, in this sermon is about um, 
us bringing our honest selves to God. And I wondered if anyone had a particular response to that or any thoughts about bringing our honest full selves to God. Or any other thoughts about what Simon said, if that's not where your heart is going? Uh, I was struck by Simon's comment about the interconnectedness of people and planet. Um, and I think we have to be honest that, yes, there are times where the earth becomes fruitful because it is tended by humanity. But equally, there are there have been um, two news reports that I was going to contrast this week. Um, one where humanity have destroyed the natural river form in Hereford on the River Lug. And at the same time, the reports that have been published this past week on the benefits of beavers to the natural river environment. Um, and there are times where nature does a very good look of good job of looking after itself and being fruitful. And there are times with farming and otherwise where we bend it to our will so that it is more fruitful for us. Um, and I think we have to recognize that there are times that humanity's impact on the world can be beneficial to us without being beneficial to the world as a whole. Liz, you deep in thought there. Do you have anything that you want to say? Um, I think for me, um, just thinking about the, the being honest um, with God and and, and then reflecting on, on what Matthew was saying there, that sometimes I feel that uh, it can be quite hard to be honest um, because actually sometimes I'm quite angry because sometimes it makes a lot of sense and I can say, well, it's humanity that's done this, but sometimes stuff just happens. And I um, find that I want to blame someone, you know, I want to understand, for example, why a pandemic's been happened. And, and although I can kind of rationalise some of it and I can like, yeah, humanity's done this. And sometimes I can be left feeling quite angry at God and my kind of perception of how God should be. And if God is loving, then why doesn't it feel it? So I suppose um, I think honesty is it's one of those words that can be easy to say, but it can actually be quite difficult also because you can end up just feeling really guilty for being honest because maybe that honesty is is a little bit like, you know, some of the the, the rantings we, we hear in other Bible verses where, you know, it's like this isn't fair and sometimes life just doesn't feel very fair. Um, I guess the, the kind of positive bit I can bring out of this, um, uh, Simon reflected on the, the kind of call to turn and when you think about turning, um, for me, it's about a change of perspective. And I think I've said this before when I've been on the panel that sometimes I have to change my perspective. So it's not that I'm changing my opinion and I'm still angry and I'm still wondering where God is in things and it all still feels a bit rubbish. But sometimes my perspective and the way I view things has to change a bit and I have to be willing to see some of the good and see um where communities have come together and made a difference and and just 
look slightly more positively at some stuff. And if I force myself to do that, then often I find that how I feel can also then perhaps align slightly more with that and, and it can be slightly healthier, but it's not easy. It's what I guess my, my key thing would be. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because Matthew, it seemed to be you were talking about more of the collective um issues whereas as you're talking about more the personal issues and i think it's very interesting how they both kind of intertwine um in the passage um andrea did you have anything you wanted to add um yeah but if i'm honest i um i was thinking of a completely diff different topic uh and it's just because i've been reminded of it this past weeks um, and when Simon talked about um, the relation between land and people and, you know, people and land and how one meets the other, um, I actually remembered um, our trip to Israel from two years ago and the conflict. Well, basically, the dispute over land that just causes so many so much disruption in people's lives and how we're blissfully unaware of it until we go there and then you can't you can't forget what you've seen um so now i think every christmas i i think i'll remember that please go ahead to your channel and I think um, just following on from that, actually, that's also a change of perspective. So, you know, you can go the other way. So, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think that our trip to Israel allowed us to change our perspective and perhaps see things differently. And that was challenging and remains challenging. Um, but yeah, no, I'm with you totally on that, Andrea. I know that the lights have just gone on in Bethlehem Square and I saw it on the telly this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I think that sometimes... That, that call to turn can be in different ways as well and, and, the, and to realise what is going on and to not just kind of, um, yeah, do all the, the Christmas singing and be positive and all of that, but to be willing to recognise that, that the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting you said that because there is sometimes a tendency in Christianity to have a sort of false positivity about everything and to kind of... Um, dismiss other people's um what they're going through either personally or what other people are going through in other parts of the world who um going through things like conflict or um environmental disaster and there's a tendency for us to almost like because almost to justify what god's doing we put a very positive spin on it or and sometimes it's which i think is different to a change of perspective because I think a change of perspective kind of says, no, this thing is horrible and difficult, but that change of perspective will help us cope and get through and find a way to respond. Whereas the false positivity is just saying, oh, well, never mind. Let's just dismiss this thing that's happening. And Joel could have said, oh, don't worry about what's going on. Just, you know, keep a smile on and, you know, remember God is great and that's all fine now, which wouldn't really actually work or do anything or heal any of those um the pain that people were feeling um i'm just looking at the chat um just there's been a few comments about um advent 
Um, there's one from, I think it's Nigel, let me just check. Yeah, because my Zoom likes to minimise everybody's name. Um, yeah, so Nigel said it was an honest self-reminded the story of Cain and Abel, which is quite interesting. Um, Jeff said something quite interesting as well, said we find ourselves uncertain about the way forward. Is God in that position as well? Which I think is a very big question about whether God feels uncertainty or not. I'm not sure if I can cover that. <laughs> um, and Frank then says, it's amazing how there is so little conflict over land, seeing the vast increase in numbers. And I don't know how long this can um, go on for. So that's quite interesting as well. Um, so I think sometimes we can look at things like conflict and see, oh, it's a really difficult story, but actually there is positive progress, which doesn't undermine the pain of the conflict that's going on, but it does give us incentive to kind of keep on working towards peace. Um, are where time's getting on, but do any of the panellists have any kind of final thoughts? I'll just pick out one other comment from Jeff saying that he suspects not all of the exiles chose to return. They will have contributed to the diaspora that the disciples went to. And then we think of, um, uh, that we see at the moment, news of Jews returning from Ethiopia to Israel. Um, effectively being evacuated out of a level of persecution because they are a separate body of people in that in that location um, and there have been more flights going on at the moment no, thank you that's a really interesting kind of current context to um what we've been discussing thank you um can i just check because i'm not on the facebook live is there anything from the facebook live before we bring discussion to a close anyone's on it otherwise i might try and get on those and drop some of those in the main chat so everybody um can see those um so i'm now going to bring the discussion um to a close and now we come to our time of intercession and i'm equally struck by the um words and the thoughts from the uh from the the sermon with regards recognizing the world as it is is not the world as it should be and we pray for the changes that we wish to see happen lord we were called this week to pray for the baptist world mission and its campaign against sexual and gender-based violence globally Lord, we just lift those conflicts to you. I think of the situation in India where laws are being passed to outlaw marriages of love that are between different religious groups, but only where they want to prevent Hindu ladies or girls becoming Muslim through marrying a Muslim husband. We pray for your ongoing works to make peace between races and the works that various groups are undertaking to, to develop peace through those areas. 
thinking of the world also, we think of the ongoing suppressions of democracy, the changes of the situations in Hong Kong and campaigners being arrested and now imprisoned for political actions, but also the elections today in Venezuela where the opposition have refused to partake in the election because they do not trust it to be fair and free. Lord, closer to home, we think of the national issues. We thank you for the, and we, we thank, are grateful for the commitment to reducing carbon by 68% by 2030. But Lord, we fear of how that will be implemented and the impacts on individuals. And we seek your guidance and your strength as we campaign to ensure that those that have least are impacted least. And that the opportunities that these changes generate are spread fairly and equitably. We think also of the impacts of COVID on people's livelihoods and jobs. And at this time of Advent, as we approach Christmas, we pray for all those who feel insecure in their employment, particularly as retail chains, such as Arcadis and, um, and uh, Debenhams collapse. And those people who now don't know what they're going to be doing, where their next income and paycheck will come from. Lord, in your mercy, draw alongside them, show them the love and the support of their communities and draw this nation together to work as one. More locally in our city of London, We've also been asked this week to pray for the London Baptist group mission groups. And we thank you for the support that they provide to local churches. The network of advice and guidance and information that helps, helps churches to flourish, campaign, grow, we continue to ask for your support and guidance to them as they pick areas of focus and as they show your love to the churches and communities that will be small and possibly struggling otherwise. Within our congregation, Lord, we want to raise to you those that are suffering ill health, we think of the many that are currently struggling. Lord, we lift Chris Green to you. We lift Brian Bowers and the Bowers family as a whole. We lift Bill Somerville. And we ask for your healing hand um, to come and just reach over them, protect, guide the medics, support the families. We think too of those other members of our congregation who have family members in hospital at the moment 
and the struggles of not being able to visit. The difficulties in the hospitals as medics are retasked and wards are left short-staffed. Lord, we just pray for each of those families that your comfort would be there for them. Your support would be there for the doctors and the nurses and all of those who were struggling to provide care. Finally, we just pray for our congregation as we plan for the coming weeks. Lord, as we plan for gathering next Sunday in church, as well as online, we ask for your blessing and your protection for that service. And as families struggle to work out how they're going to gather over the next weeks for the Christmas celebrations, or if they can even gather. Lord, we just ask that you would find ways that bring families and communities together over this period. As even as we can't join together in big groups and crowd and pack into churches as we normally would at this time. In all these things, Lord, we just lift to you and we ask for your guidance and your blessing. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.